The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. We are going to turn now to God's Word in Exodus, right? We are going through the book of Exodus, um, and we are looking at uh, the gospel according to Moses in the book of Exodus. Um, And so last week we looked at Exodus 2, we got to introduce to Moses, and this week we're going to pick up in Exodus 3, so... Um, if you don't have a Bible, if you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles in the back. Text will be on the screen. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray for God to help us. And then we are going to look at Exodus. Father in heaven, we are grateful that you have welcomed us in your presence. We're grateful that we were able to come and worship you. And we ask that you would meet with us tonight as we look at your word, because without you, we'd we can't put it together. So God, we look to you and we ask that you would address us, talk to us face to face again, and that we would know who you are and delight in the power of your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So as we've been looking at uh, the book of Exodus, right, chapter one, we got introduced to Israel, what's going down with Israel, right, there's a lot of problems going on. Chapter 2, we got introduced to Moses, and then here in chapter 3, we're getting introduced to God. I mean, God's been there all along, but it's kind of like as you begin to the development of any movie, right, you have kind of like the main characters kind of step out on stage, right, and you, you get introduced to who they are and what's going on, um, but then the main character steps into the field, right? Uh, so you have, like you have Gandalf, right? right? It's, not, it's, not, it's not an adventure until Gandalf steps into the story. Um, and sometimes when... Uh, when you're introduced to the character, right, their name and who they are defines the story, right? They, it's, not, it's not a James Bond movie until he says Bond, James Bond, right? Or it's not a Batman movie until he says, who are you? I'm Batman. You know, it's not, it's not the, their story until they are introduced onto the stage as like, this is who I am and this is about me, right? Um, and that's what we get when we turn to Exodus 3. We are getting introduced to the main character of the book of Exodus, right? We, Moses wrote the book. We're going to see a lot about Moses in the book of Exodus. Um, I hope that we will relate uh, both to the positive and negative of <laughs> Moses. But God is the main character. He's the one who defines a story. And just like when you get James Bond, James Bond, or something like that, their name says something about who they are. Um, if you were to take my name and go around the city of Manchester and say, hey, Jacob sent me, um, could I have something? You wouldn't get very much, right? <laughs> if you took uh, Mayor Gatsa's name and you went around, you might get a little bit, right? Something. Um, you, we could go down the line, right? I'm, I'm, a, friend, I'm a friend of... Uh, you know, Bill Gates, like Bill Gates is my friend or whatever. That's not true. But if, say he was, right? Uh, you get something by being their friend or you, their name, their reputation gets you stuff, right? Um, or you can do things with their name. As we get introduced to God here, we are going to be introduced to God's name and what he says about himself, right? His name says something about who he is. Because when you introduce, like, there's nothing like my name, Jacob. Um, if you were to, like, cut me open, there's nothing in me that makes... My name. Like, there's nothing that says, "Oh, right." Like we can see, here's his liver, and clearly this is Jacob, right? <laughs> like that doesn't doesn't connect to anything. But when you get to know God's name, you get to know God, the being of God, who God is at His very nature, 
and what and what that means about who God is for you. So as we are looking at this passage, we are invited to see that this, I think as we're looking through this, we're going to be starting in chapter 3, verse 1, and going through chapter 4, verse 17. I promise I won't read all those verses, but as we are looking through this passage, the invitation that we have sitting before us is to live in the power of God's name. Right, to live under, to enjoy the power to experience the depths and power of God's name. And so that's what we're going to be looking at. And so we're just going to be looking at this powerful name of God in three simple steps. We're going to be starting with being called in God's name. We're going to look at being sent in God's name. And then we're going to look at being strengthened in God's name. So called, sent, strengthened, God's name. So we're going to pick up. Chapter 3, verse 1, called in God's name. I'm just going to read the first six verses of this for us as we begin to look at this. So if you remember from last week, we were looking at, we were introduced to Moses, right? He's a murderer, kills somebody, runs out into the desert, lives there for 40 years, um, broken, and then we get a divine perspective, and now we are introduced to what happens to change Moses' trajectory. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to this great sight. Why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take off your sandals. Take your sandals off of your feet. For the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the Lord. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. So we are running into kind of one of these main kind of pictures in the Bible, right? The burning bush. Or this is kind of, people talk about if they experience God, they talk about saying, I, I experienced the burning bush, or I had a burning bush moment, or I was like, I somehow saw this weird event. And so what is going on in the burning bush that's not being consumed? Like what, what's going on there, right? I mean, is it just kind of like, a weird event, um, just to be weird? Like, what, why is it a burning bush? We have to remember this is coming at the end of chapter, uh, first chapter 1 and chapter 2, and what's been going on with the people of Israel is that they have been, uh, they've been going through a lot of trials, right? They've been in a lot of pain and suffering. Um, they've been groaning, right? They're just talking about, um, they've been groaning, and yet they've been increasing, right? So they've been, they've been oppressed, and yet they've been blessed. So they've been, they've been oppressed, crushed down, pressed, and yet they are flourishing uh, despite all their contacts, despite everything that's going on around them. They are uh, continuing to flourish and grow, right? So you have these two things that shouldn't be going together, right? They're being, they're being pushed down by the man, and yet they're continuing to flourish, and so this is like the context of where the burning bush is coming out of, right? The burning bush is something that shouldn't exist, just like the people of Israel. The people of Israel, they should not continue to exist. They should be consumed by the oppression that they're experiencing. 
but they are continuing to flourish. So the burning bush is, a, in some ways, it's a bit of a picture of the people of Israel because the only reason that they are continuing to exist, they should be consumed by the flames, but they are flourishing, right? They're continuing to exist. They are these opposites that come together, right? They're, they're afflicted, but uh, they're afflicted like the flames of the fire, but they're flourishing like this bush that's continuing to exist. And so when God comes to Moses to introduce himself to Moses, he's taking on this picture of his people. Look, the only reason that these people continue to exist is because I'm on the scene. Right? God comes up and says, I'm the one that sustains my people and blesses them amidst the flames of affliction that's coming down upon them. Right? That's, God is a deciding factor of why his people aren't consumed by the flame. So here's this burning bush, Moses walking by. It, it, this reads kind of comically, right? Kind of like, there's this burning bush and it's not being consumed by the flames. I will go and see it. But Moses goes, he, enter, he walks up to the, the burning bush, and the bush, not only that, is not, that has been uh, a bush not consumed by the flame, but now it's a talking burning bush, right? So the bush speaks out to him, Moses, Moses, which of course, this is God on the scene, right? God calls out to Moses, and he's calling out, Moses, Moses, he's calling out to him twice to get his attention and go right to the heart, right? He is, there is no bones about this. Moses, I want your attention, and I want it now, and I want it focused on me. He comes to Moses, he says, Moses, Moses. And Moses' response is to freak out, right? <laughs> he realizes there's something going down here that is, um, I could not survive, I might not survive, right? <laughs> and yet, Moses, remove your sandals. Dealing with God is not a trivial thing. He is in the presence of a holy God. Um, and Moses is aware, he's, he's done some things that would require him to die. And yet, God is mercifully saying, Moses, I want your attention. I want you to come near to me. But I want you, I'm going to help you. So he says, take off your sandals, come down. Which is just God saying, this is what you, a humble heart is how you need to approach me. Right? A humble heart is how we approach God. It's not, it's not a flippant thing to kind of say, oh God, how's it going? Oh, a burning bush. Nice to see you. No, no, approaching God as a humble heart. God, we, uh, we need you, but we need to, this is not a God we can control. And so then God introduces himself. So we come up with verse six. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face and he was afraid to look at God. So then the conversation goes on. I just want to jump down to verse 13. Because there's an interesting thing here that can, you know, being introduced to the name of God. And so I just want to jump down to verse 13 to kind of, get into who is this God that is addressing Moses. Verse 13, Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? Now this is one of the most famous verses in the entire Bible. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. Thus I am, be, this, thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So this is the pivotal question, right? Verse 13, what is your name? Who are you? Who am I telling people you are God? 
And here's something that we have to keep in mind as we look at this, because Moses is not just kind of saying like, oh, it's nice to meet you. What's your name tag? Right? There, is, there is some context of what he's saying to God. Who is your name? What, who are you? Our friend, I, I didn't bring his commentary, but our friend, Dr. Garrett, his commentary in the book of Exodus, he helps us in this context by reminding us, in Egypt, every god had a name that identified the deity by gender, cult location, so that's like the worship address, powers, special tasks, and rank within the hierarchy of deities. So what he's saying is, in, the, in Egypt, where everybody was, was oppressed, in Egypt, they, the name of their deity kind of gave you the lowdown. It was like their uh, social security number, right? Said, this is where you were born, this is, when, uh, the, this is what you did, this is what your occupation was. Their name communicated all these things about who they were. So, for example, um, Hopi, the god of uh, Hopi, when you heard the name Hopi, you knew he is the god of the floodwaters of Egypt, right? He's the, of, of the Nile. Or Horus, god of the dead. He's a super high deity, so he'll be up towards the top. He had a temple in Seti, right? So that was their address. So he asked her name. In short, what is his name? Implies a specific set of presuppositions, right? A, presupp- uh, a specific set of assumptions about the deity. It suggests that God is not unique, but one of many gods. So when Moses is asking, what is your name? He's effectively telling God, okay, so where do you fit in the pantheon? God, where, where are you? In the food chain of all the gods, what's your name so I can know which one? To, if you're up towards the top, then we could probably, we could probably work this. You know, if you're towards the bottom, we're going to need to come up with a marketing plan. God, God, where are you in the spectrum? So when, when Moses does this, that's what, that's what's on his mind, right? Where, who are you? Where do you fit? And God responds, God responds, I am who I am, or literally I will be whatever I will be. God rejects the entire question of who are you? Where do you fit? God says, I don't play that game. I'm me, and I exist because I'm me. I'm me, and that's all you need to know. I am me, I exist because I am the God who creates everything. I exist on my own. I exist before all things. I exist because I say I exist, right? God comes, and when Moses says, okay, so what's your name? Where do you fit? God rejects that whole thing, and he says, this is who I am. I am myself, but he insists on being known by this name. I am the God of... Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So on the one hand, he's saying, I exist because I say I do, and I exist on my own terms. And yet, he continues, right? So we have verse 6, and then in verse 15, right, he continues to pull down this name. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Which is to say that he exists on his own terms, and he will always fulfill his promises that he's made. And that's the sort of name that he wants to have. I exist because I, I am. I exist because I want to. Because I am the God who exists by myself. Like His very nature is to exist. And what that means for you is that I fulfill my promises that I've made. I want to be known by, that my name is going to be known by fulfilling my promises on my own terms. And that is the name this God, of the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, this God who is self-existing, that's the name that we engage when we come to know God. When we come before God right now, when we're talking to God, when we're hearing from God, 
He addresses us as the God. Hi, my name is. I am because I am. And I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Which is to say, what Moses experienced is what we all experience. Right? When we come to God, we come to God with our expectations. God, this is the sort of culture we live in, right? We're, we're Americans uh, for the most part. <laughs> we exist to be prosperous and to have everything and every need met and to accomplish things on our own terms. And we come to God and we say, God, my little genie, I want you to make me happy, healthy, and wealthy on my terms. We come to God and we say, I deserve this and you must give it to me right now. That is the type of way we tend to approach God, right? And, and I know that like, we, we think of like, oh, like there's the prosperity preachers on TV and they're kind of like, you know, like they're pretty like gaudy about how they do that prosperity gospel stuff. But we tend to be functional prosperity people, right? God, why don't I have the spouse that I want so fast? Why, why don't I have the promotion at my job? Why, actually, why don't I have the job that I prayed to you for? Because I've put in the hard work, God, you deserve, I deserve for you to give this to me right now. God, why don't I have the resolution of these health problems? Um, I've, I've asked for them, and I want them right now. God, why don't I have the children that I've wanted? God, why don't, you know, when we begin to say, God, why don't I have X? And the reason that we want that is because um, I deserve it, and I'm a good person. <laughs> That's because we're functional prosperity people. We are bringing our expectations to God and saying, God, you've got to scratch this itch. We're just, we're, just, we're just like Moses. We're bringing our little pantheon of how we want God to fit into our lives, and we're bringing it to God and saying, God, now you need to fit into my system. Uh, we do this as well with the, uh, the way we tend to address our problems is to say, well, you know what? Um, I'm just going to think positive thoughts, and the problems are going to go away, right? We're going to think positive thoughts, and it's going to all come back to me, right? We, we have, a, there's a famous book out right now called um, The Power of I Am, right? So it's these I am statements. I am blessed, I am merciful, I am rich, I am wise, I am fill in the blank. And it's an application, actually. It's a false application of this text. It's to say, like, I am, and then you just fill in the blank, and you get it, right? Just think these positive thoughts. That, that's not the way God works, Right? God comes in and shatters Moses' expectations. He comes in and shatters your expectations of how you think God should be and should behave and should work for you. But that's not to say that God's not for you, right? Because <laughs> here's, here's God not striking down Moses, right? <laughs> he could strike down us. And yet God continues to pursue Moses, right? He insists on having this conversation. Moses, Moses, come here. We're going to have a talk, son. God insists on having this conversation with Moses, not because he's trying to slap Moses for having all these false expectations, but because he wants to show himself, right? He is trying to take his name and make it known to Moses, to make it known to you, so that when we are called in God's name, we come before God and know who he is on God's terms and not our own. So, with that in view, where does God take this next? So we are called in God's name. And we're going to pick up in verse 7. We're going to go from 7 to the end of the chapter. I'm not going to read all that. But second thing is we're going to look at sent in God's name. 
So there are, through this whole passage, through this and the end of the chapter, and the end of the section, there's three commissions, right? So God introduces himself to Moses. Moses hears what's going on. I want to save my people. And he sends Moses. There's these three commissions that come out of this. There are, because basically Moses is like the most reluctant leader ever. And God has to kind of um, flex his muscles a little bit to say, Moses, this is really going to happen. You know, it's not, um, Moses is voluntold for the role. Right, um, and so God comes down in verse seven. Says, "Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because they're because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the land of the Egyptians." So God comes down, and His purpose is to deliver them to the land flowing with milk and honey, the promised land. God's purpose is to deliver them out of their suffering, out of their oppression, out of the land of Egypt. And he, verse eight, I have come down. God has stepped on the scene, right? Like this is the moment, right? The final fight scene with Rocky, you know, he steps out into the ring. This is God stepping into the ring and it's going down and it's on God's terms, right? This is, by the way, when I say Rocky, do people know you know that movie? Okay, just making sure that we're like culturally sensitive here. You know, like if you don't know Rocky, then we're gonna have some problems. Um, God steps into the ring, says, "Here's what's going on, going down," and He says He's going to lead His people, verse eight, to a broad land. Right? So they've been they've been oppressed, and God's going to lead them. He gives them this promise to a broad land, not just to kind of describe like here's the acreage, but to Encourage their hope, like, oh, God, God's leading us into a freedom, right? God is leading us to, be, uh, to not be so constrained, but to enjoy his presence. And then in verse 12, he, he wants to lead them to the biggest worship service in the planet, right? Go up to the mountain and worship God. Literally, going up to the mountain where heaven meets earth, to worship God, to stir their faith. Like, no, this, this is going to happen. You're going to worship before me, right? This is where heaven meets earth on this mountain. God's going to come down. His people are going to come up and they're going to enjoy, we're going to get there. They're going to enjoy God's presence. So, but here's the problem, right? So there's always the hitch. God's doing a great job of explaining what's going to happen. Moses is not so compliant, right? <laughs> Moses is not so happy about what's going to happen. And so you have like this, that's why there's these three commissions, right? These three go, and Moses is kind of like, eh, you know, like maybe somebody else, next guy walks up. So you have God says, go, and Moses responds, ah, who am I? I don't know. I'm so humble. I can't go do this. He's a king. I'm a murderous shepherd out in the desert. Maybe not such a great pick. God says, go. No, I picked you. Go. Go do this. And Moses is like, I can't talk good, right? I, got, like, I, I can't talk really well. Like, I've got a weird voice, and it just doesn't work out with me talking in public, and I get really nervous. And God's like, yeah, I picked you. Go. And Moses just finally just kind of comes down to the point. He's just kind of like, I don't want to do it, right? <laughs> I just don't, don't send me. I just don't want to do this, right? God is insistent on choosing Moses, Right, so what is God sending him to do? He is sent with the free grace of God to lead people to the promised land where they will receive provision, protection, and identity. Right, they will receive provision. God's going to provide for them. God's going to protect them. 
And then God himself was gonna be their identity as the new people in this country. And I think what we can take hope in, in this whole scenario, right, of what happens with Moses, is that God loves to use weak, silly people like us, <laughs> right? If you have ever felt the prick of, I should obey God and do something that God tells me to do, yeah, but I don't want to, well, then you're, you're the candidate that God wants to use, right? If you've ever felt like, yeah, I, I just, I don't have a lot to offer, it's just me and my cat, and like, we just love our neighbors, kind of like, I love to use people like you. If you've like, I've got too many, I've got too many issues in my past, or I'm still, I'm still dealing with this addiction thing. Moses, after this point, no fixing, he had, there had been no fixing to his problems, and yet God wants to use him. Right? God wants to use you. He wants to send you with his free grace to all the problems in your life, right? To the addictions, to the marriage problems, to the friends that you don't, frenemies that you don't like, right? He wants to send you to your neighbors. He wants to send you to the city of Manchester, wherever you live, that God wants to bring people out, right? So you can imagine, this is a weird scenario, right? This is like the worst job interview that, most, that could have ever happened, right? Right? Hi, why would we like to, we'd like to give you the job. I'm really not qualified. Yeah, but we really want to give you the job. Uh, yeah, but I'd, I'm not going to do well with the customers. Okay, but we, we really want to give you the job. Yeah, yeah, but, but I don't want it. But you're going to have the job. That's the way, God loves to take weak people who can't do anything on their own and then by the power of his name, use them for his purposes. He wants to use you right where you are to serve and love and spread the fame of his name. That's what he's coming to do. That's why he's, we can take hope, right? God uses Moses, so he could probably use me too. So what is, what is God sending him to do and how is he sending him to do it? So we're just going to pick up chapter 4, verse 1. Moses has been called in God's name. He has been sent in God's name, right? He's being sent with this task. And now we're going to look at strengthened in God's name. So this is actually kind of in the midst of the whole um, commissioning, right? God commissioning Moses to go. And amidst all these three commissions, amidst what's going on, uh, Moses basically says, yeah, God, I know that you're with me. That's important. God's with me but it's not enough, right? I'm going to come up to these people and they're going to say, how do we know that God's with you? And Moses is like, God, you got to throw me a bone here. Help me out. And Moses, uh, and God, God's response to Moses say, okay, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, uh, just say it's tough. I'm God. I'm with you. I'm actually going to give you these little signs, these miracles to help support the word that I'm giving you, right? He is giving Moses these miracles, and there's these three miracles that he gives him. There's one where he, um, he has a staff. He says, throw the staff on the ground. Staff becomes a snake, which, by the way, uh, Moses runs in fear of the snake, which to me is an indication he might not have been a great shepherd. <laughs> Shepherds typically are not afraid of animals coming after their sheep. Maybe not a great shepherd <laughs> running from a snake. Anyhow, the snake turns back into a staff when he grabs it. 
Um, the second sign is, okay, stick your hand in your cloak, pull it out, and it's, it's leprous, right? So at the time, leprosy was something that only God could heal, and it was a sign of divine judgment, and you were going to die, and nobody's ever going to shake your hand or touch you or hug you ever again. And so stick your hand back in your cloak, comes out clean. So you've got the staff, turns into a snake, hand, go leprous, not leprous, back and forth. And then he says, okay, and then the water, I want you to throw the water on the ground, it becomes blood. So he's got these three signs that he's going to do. And I think, again, remember, we're talking about the name of God. So the name of God is, I can do whatever I want because I'm God, um, and I want to use who I am to bless you. And these three signs, I think what you have going on in the signs that God gives him are uh, the snake, right? So the, the staff, something that's not living, he can turn into something that's living. So from dead to life. Something that's living, a hand sticks in his cloak, comes out dead. So something that, from, from life to death, so you can reverse it. And then the water from life-giving to life-taking. Something that can give life, something to take life. Which is all to underline the point that God is the one who changes, he is the one who changes the situation. He steps into your life and he can reverse, he can restore, he can correct, he can redeem the brokenness, he can bring life to what was dead. That is a God who steps on the scene. And by the way, just as a modern, uh, just uh, for our life today, uh, Moses gets these signs, these miracles, to support the word, the redeeming word of God. So verse 15, right? You shall speak to him, that's to Moses, or to Aaron, the word, and put the word in his mouth, and I, will, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth. So Aaron is going to be the one who speaks. But all of these miracles support the proclamation of who God is. His word will go forth. His word, I will redeem, my people will be let go. That is the, the word that Moses goes with. And so these signs and miracles, they all support the word, right? So for our life today as a church, we believe God still does miracles. We expect them to happen. We want them to happen. Dave and Roxanne are with us. God, would you give them prophetic words, right? We want prophetic words because prophetic words, Paul says, First uh, Corinthians 14, earnestly desire spiritual gifts, so you might pro- and one of them is to prophesy. So you might encourage and build each other up in the faith, right? It is the, the gift of prophetic words and tongues and healing and all that stuff, they exist to support the proclamation of the gospel, right? They show God's in the scene, God changes everything, and he's about changing you and Jesus, right? That's the function of, so we don't get all freaky about spiritual gifts, right? (laughs) People actually, in the book of Exodus, and later on, they're going to take another one of these signs that God does, and they're going to make an idol of them. People still do that today with signs and gifts and tongues and all that stuff. We're not going to do that, but we're going to believe in them still. Moses has all these signs to show that God is with them, to, to show that God is confronting their expectations. God can do whatever he wants on his own terms. And his name is coming to reverse the problems. God is coming down to meet with them. And God continues to come down in scripture. Ultimately, what happens is that God comes down. I just, I love verse, chapter three, verse eight. And I have come down to deliver God who spoke, God the Son, who spoke to them from the bush, right? The angel of the Lord, 
That's, that's the Son of God. I think it's the Son of God. That's Jesus before he takes on flesh, speaking out of the burning bush, right? Two things that shouldn't be together. God taking on flesh. The God who spoke out of this burning bush will take on flesh and use his lips to speak the word of life and speak the, the word of God's salvation and speak the final word, it is finished, over our curse and death that we are left in. But because of him, now we're delivered out of. So Paul in Philippians 2, he says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, so he was up, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. He came down, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself. So not only did he come down, but he went down further. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. He goes down even into the grave even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him, what does it say? The name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue should confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Right? This, the, the trajectory of this is God coming down to make his name great. So he comes all the way down to the point of death so that by his death. He can lift us out of the death of our sin and judgment before God so that God can make his name look great, right? God is the main character of the book of Exodus. He's the main character of the Bible. And this is all about God raising up his name so that he can make his name look great. And God does that by coming down, coming down to redeem us so that the problems that we face, whatever it is that's facing you this week that you just don't want to engage with or that you're afraid that you're going to continue to do or to continue to hound you, God has come into your life down into the very seat of your pants to redeem you out of the darkness and sin that plagues us so that at the name of Jesus, we can come into God's presence right now. God, thank you. Thank you for who you are, what you've done in my life. So that just like Moses, we look forward to being led into the very presence of God, to know him, to enjoy his presence, to worship him at the cross where heaven and earth meet, right? This is the name of God that we are called into. This is the name of God that we live in, and it is the power of this name to reverse the curse of sin, the, the plague and darkness of sin in our lives, the, the plague of death that will take us down into the grave, it is the power of God's name that will lift us up. And one day we will see this Jesus face to face. And we will worship him. So, we are left with this passage, with this glorious name of God, and the invitation to live in the power of his name. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this story. We thank you for introducing us to yourself. Lord, as we come before you, we ask that you would grab our attention and fix our eyes on you and that we would know your name. And Father, by your kindness and goodness to us, we would live in the power of who you are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.